Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and this is a Slate spoiler special on Harold and Kumar, Escape from Guantanamo Bay, which I saw last week, I believe, with John Swansburg, who's here with me in the studio. Hi, John. Hi, great to be here. John is a culture editor at Slate, and we both actually also boned up on the original Harold and Kumar, so we're going to have a whole stoner movie discussion here. Uh, I'm excited. Thanks a lot for coming in. Uh, we're so, not stoned, I should say. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that would make it so much wittier, but so much longer and more it's rambling. True. So let's quickly break down the plot, or at least sort of the setup to the plot, and then we can we can get into some of the stoner movie issues. Harold and Kumar, Escape from Guantanamo Bay, begins the day after, literally the morning after the first movie, the 2004 Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle, ended, right? Right. So, we, we, the first thing we see is uh, Harold showering after his uh, harrowing evening of, of searching for those burgers in the first uh, movie, and, and uh, also Kumar uh, having a stomachache from having eaten all of them. Right, and then the the long and gruesome scatological joke that begins the movie is actually Kumar eliminating the very burgers that they scarf down at the end of right. Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle. So with this sort of poop joke, the movie begins, the bang, and um, the two boys are off to Amsterdam, we discover, to uh, chase down the woman that Harold is in love with, who lives in their building, who, as we learned at the end of the prior movie, is on her way to Amsterdam right. for a trip. Right. So they've suddenly decided to, to buy these tickets and, and make this trip. Oh, we have to get in um, Kumar's love interest, too. On the way through the airport, he meets up. Kumar meets up with his own love interest, thus right. setting up that the love of his life is about to marry this uh, very He's like, preppy yeah, and preppy, loathsome... Yeah, preppy, loathsome jerk whose father has ties to the Bush administration is is some muckety-muck in the administration, right. so which, we've which already becomes a key sort of, plot point. That does become an important plot point. So we've already sort of set up that you know Harold and Kumar are these... These guys who who loathe this this preppy um, bush stooge, right? Right, or at least Kumar does. Uh, Harold is sort of. I think he actually helped Harold get his job as a number crunching accountant or whatever he is. And if so you Harold's haven't a little seen bit the more... original, we should set out that that Harold is sort of the square of the two. Right. He's a Korean American guy who has a good job as a investment banker. Yeah, of some he's kind. some sort of banker. And uh, whereas Kumar is sort of a ne'er-do-well um, young Indian-American guy whose father desperately wants him to become a doctor, right. and he's, he's resisting it. Okay, so uh, the boys get on the plane. Stoners that they are, or that Kumar is, he has smuggled onto the plane this bong that he invented to be smoked in an airplane right. bathroom. That the smokeless bong. That absorbs its own smoke, right? Right, somehow. right. It's a, it's a rather impressive uh, uh, contraption. Which actually does look exactly like what the... Uh, people on the airplane eventually take it to be, which is a bomb. So right. they hear him saying, I've got a bong. They think he's saying, I've got a bomb. Hijinks ensue. Right. And the next thing we know, the two of them, the plane has been taken down, I mean, has landed. And uh, and they've been taken to, you want to pick it up from here? Do sure. they go straight to Guantanamo? <clears throat> no, I, in my memory, they first get taken to, you know, an undisclosed uh, interrogation room. Uh, where Rob Corddry. Where Rob Corddry, who's playing uh, this truly buffoonish, asinine, um, Homeland Security guy. I think he's he's posited as like the number two um, guy, the number one guy is ice fishing uh, and can't be bothered to show up to interrogate these guys. And and he's just he's a truly absurd character. Uh, he takes one look at, at Harold and Kumar, and I think this is even in the trailer. Says that oh my god, it's it's Al Qaeda and North Korea working together. This is before having ever asked them a question. And he's just determined to to really make their lives miserable. There's a brief interrogation scene, and then they're sent to Guantanamo Bay. Essentially, as a result of racial profiling, right? I mean, basically, exactly. Rob Corddry, the white agent, sees them and says, oh, it's too brown guys, they must be terrorists. Right, right? and he has a deputy himself who sort of realizes that this is ridiculous but doesn't quite have the power to to tell Cordry not to send them to, to Gitmo. So they end up in Gitmo. 
I don't know. I was talking about the movie um, after I saw it with some people who had, had seen the trailer and read about it, and they were surprised to learn that the Gitmo scene actually lasts what three minutes, maybe four minutes. It's right. really it's a... almost like an excuse to have the title "Harold and Kumar Escape from Guantanamo exactly. Bay." Exactly. Because like... fifteen minutes into the movie, it doesn't matter they were ever there. Right. The important thing is that they're they're on the run. And indeed, I think the Gitmo scene might be one of the worst uh, in the movie. At least I thought so. It, the, at that point in the movie, it sort of indulges in some some like very old feeling frat boy sort of humor where the where the ostensibly the only joke is that in Guantanamo Bay the the poor prisoners there are forced to fillet guys named Big Bob you know like that was the that was kind of the one joke and ultimately uh, Harold and Kumar escape that fate uh, although uh, by the skin of their teeth so to speak they escape from from Gitmo uh, they they meet some very nice uh, Cubans who seem to be fleeing uh, Cuba for Miami Uh, they end up in South Florida and then I think we're going to try to skip over this. Yeah, po- the rest this of the movie is like, sort of a, a peripatetic journey right. from Florida to Texas, where eventually, as we'll see, they get stoned with President Bush. Right. So just to, just to give you some sense of the architecture, the reason that they're trying to get to Texas is they're trying to get to the marriage of the jerk and Kumar's old flame because they think the jerk might be able to help them uh, become get exonerated, essentially, because sure, he has because he's ties. got an in with the Bush administration. Right, but they, also, of course, Kumar wants to do a Dustin Hoffman, the graduate-style disruption <laughs> of the wedding of the woman he Precisely, loves. precisely. So they end up traveling through uh, Alabama and, and some part of Texas, and, and they run into a series of, of uh, mishaps along the way. Which I'm sure we'll get to some as we yeah. discuss. But so let's let's start with our, our first and sad point, which is that I'm afraid that this movie is much inferior to the original, which we were both very fond of. Agreed. Um, and so let's talk about, about why. I mean, I feel like it's actually sort of betrayed the essence of what made the first Harold and Kumar movie great. I, I, I definitely agree. We were discussing this. I think a big part of it is that it, it actually breaks the rules of the Stoner movie, and there and it might be silly to think that uh, such things exist, but but there are uh, there is a real form, uh, a real art to making a Stoner movie, and some of the basic uh, tenets of the Stoner movie are not are not adhered to in this movie in a sort of surprising way. I mean, it, one way in which a, a Stoner movie is often set up is that the Stoners are looking to get weed or at least they've smoked weed and then are looking to, to get do, burgers to get burgers which is the the delightful uh delightfully basic plot point in the first movie the first movie is basically two baked guys looking for burgers and 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 what happens when that when uh that mission uh is not quite accomplished there's actually very little uh smoking of weed and uh the mission is not really any doesn't have anything to do uh with marijuana it has to do with them a trying to become exonerated of from these of these uh crimes that they didn't commit and b uh, trying to hook up with these chicks, which also seems a little bit out of place in a stoner movie. One of the other things about stoner movies is that they're typically buddy picks, and they're about often two guys who are who are great friends and who have these great adventures and, and grow closer as a result. Here, Harold and Kumar are, are kind of uh, pissed at each other uh, for, for the better part of the movie, which is surprising. Yeah, there's sort of a structural flaw in terms of how their relationship is, is shown in the movie, which is that Harold gets really, really mad at Kumar in the first 15 minutes of the movie for making this, this ridiculous bong and, and, you know, ruining his trip to Amsterdam. As he, as he says, I mean, they're going to Amsterdam where they can smoke weed legally, and Kumar uh, has the, you know, idiotic idea of smoking this bong on the plane. Right, and with... Kumar really is, I mean, his ability to plan ahead lasts maybe 20 seconds ahead, right? Right, <laughs> right. Uh, by the way, Cal Penn, very charming in that role, I think, yes. even in the, Both the of them. inferior movie to the first one. So, but, but Harold stays mad at Kumar the whole time. He's right. equally mad up until nearly the resolution of the movie. Sure. Now and a half later. So so there's not very much of a dynamic in their friendship. There's not much happening except, you know, the problems that they're trying to solve, which in and of themselves are, are really not the point. Right. And secondly, as you pointed out, they're almost never high during the movie. And yeah. there's there's very little sort of um 
of the of the classic stoner scenes of the two of them, I don't know, engaging in, in twisted logic or sort of pursuing pointless conversations or Right, or being mesmerized by things that are that are truly mundane. I mean there's just there's not really any of that. Marijuana shows up intermittently in the movie. Uh at one point they run into a hillbilly who has like a suitcase full of it, but it's not clear to me that they actually partake of it. Uh and then when they do run into Neil Patrick Harris, who we'll come back to later, he uh is eating a, a, a large bag of, of psychedelic mushrooms, but he you know he has has a, a, a vision of unicorns and rainbows, but he, but Harold and Kumar at this point are very, uh, are very much unstoned and are, are very scared by the situation. So, I mean, really, you can almost see the contrast between the two movies just in the titles alone, right? I mean, right, the first absolutely. one sort of because of the weed and because of the friendship, this very banal trip to White Castle kind of becomes this frightening and funny and magnificent adventure for the two of them. Right. In the second one, this very big adventure, escaping from Guantanamo Bay and hitchhiking across the country and smoking pot with the president, becomes something really banal and boring. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, maybe part of the problem is that this movie, as the sort of more (laughs) politically engaged, as the title might indicate, uh, the Guantanamo Bay, Harold and Kumar movie, tries to take on issues of race and politics that it really really doesn't doesn't do very much with or really know what to do with. I mean, you have to assume through the entire movie that, you know, the two guys who are wanted by the Department of Homeland Security and are chasing down this sort of horrible, preppy, uh, bush-loving guy who's going to marry... Kumar's girlfriend, are in opposition to the current administration. But when they actually wind up through a series of mishaps in Bush's Crawford Ranch getting high with him, there's a little bit of a sort of a, I don't know, just a very mushy sense that, hey, George Bush is just a stoner like us. What's right, the problem? Right, and it's just, it, you know, the, the movie throughout sort of tries to turn stereotypes on their head, and I think in the end that's what it tried to do with, with Bush. It tried to take the stereotype that that I think a lot of its viewership, young viewership, has this idea that, that Bush is this awful guy. And to turn that on his head and say, actually, no, he's a guy that you'd love to smoke weed with, and he's just like you or I. Um, Which sort of undercuts, undercuts the tension of everything that came yeah, before. Yeah, and it's just sort of, it's just not that interesting. I mean, and also, like, there's always been this notion, of course, that Bush is the kind of guy you want to drink a beer with. But, you know, you could argue, uh, I think persuasively, that the last eight years have shown that that's a really lousy way to pick a leader. And this movie doesn't really, you know, say anything about that. It also... It does show you that, you know, even though it's a kind of retrograde way of looking at it, it does show you the horrors of Guantanamo Bay, and then it lets Bush off the hook in the end. If, you know, if he's not personally responsible for that uh, for that prison, he certainly has done nothing to uh, to close it. So. so, yeah, it's kind of a political cop-out in the end. And what about the way this movie deals with race as opposed to the, the first movie? I mean, this is sort of, you know, the, the post-multiculturalism stoner movie with the Korean guy and the Indian guy on the run. Right. I sort of felt like what was uh, really wonderful about the first movie is how lightly it wore its approach to race. I think it is a movie, uh, the first one is a sort of post-race movie, but one that nicely inserts, a, you know, uh, a Korean-American and an Indian-American into roles that uh, in, in the past have been have been sort of reserved for white guys. But this movie tries really hard to, to play with issues of race and, and in ways that, that felt heavy-handed uh, at times. You know, Harold and Kumar run into a, a, a group of black guys playing uh, basketball in, in the Deep South and you know, they assume that the that the black guys are going to come beat them up. And in well, fact, the guys are approaching their car with tire irons, but it turns right. out it's because they want to help them change their flat tire. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, which is a kind of nice moment. It sort of turns the it turns the a stereotype on it on its head. Um, but that kind of that kind of thing happens over and over again. It's you know, 
the redneck turns out to be actually relatively enlightened and has you know uh, you know a beautifully sleek designed uh, cabin in the woods that looks ramshackle from the outside but looks like it came out of you know Metropolis magazine on the inside and I don't know there are various moments in the in the movie where the movie takes a racial stereotype and sort of tries to say look this racial stereotype isn't true I think a notable exception and one of the funnier exceptions is the the Ku Klux Klan scene which maybe right. I liked more than you did but there's a moment you know as they're on the run through the South somewhere that they have to they have to dress as Klansmen and they sort run of pass Klan as Klansmen yeah. at a meeting and uh, and there's some some funny stuff in that meeting just sort of imagining what might be the topic of discussion at a Ku Klux Klan, Klan meeting oh I agree there there's certainly like discrete moments where it works and I think the clan scene is probably the best one but it just happened over and over again in this way that made you feel like the movie was trying to make a statement about race where in the previous movie while race was always sort of part of what was going on it didn't feel like it was being drummed into you as like the point of the movie is to, to upend the stereotypes which is sort of outside the purview of a stoner movie as as far as I'm concerned yeah a little heavy handed in that department alright so we need to spoil because this is a spoiler yes. special let's talk about something that I definitely can't talk about in my review which is the ignominious and brutal death of Neil Patrick Harris's character right. Neil Patrick Harris he plays himself <laughs> right and he his life ends in a brothel where the three boys go together I think I believe in Texas I believe in Texas yes um, at, at uh, NPH's suggestion they go to this brothel so that they can uh, have some fun and uh, he and has... eventually he's he's shot in the back by the madam of this brothel apparently for branding his his hooker on the buttocks with a brand I mean this is like the brand, one of the, the more the brand is his initials which is sort of an amazing detail it was an NPA I think I was so horrified at the notion he had just branded her that I, I yeah, couldn't yeah no they, they show it very briefly but it's like a, it's an NPH brand which is uh sort of horrifying and amazing at the same time. I mean, what really horrified me was the fact that this was a real death. I sort of thought this movie's way too lighthearted to kill off its sort of cult figure, Neil Patrick Harris, and plus they must be sort of trying to milk it for a third if, if this one's a success at all. And I kind of couldn't believe that Neil Patrick Harris's character was really done for, but it seems like he was. Yeah, I mean, they, they really made... It wasn't the kind of thing where they, you know, he took... Uh, a lone sort of six-shooter bullet to the back, and and you know maybe he's alive. I mean, it was like three shotgun blasts. It was it was really clear that he was. It was quite. I still gruesome. thought though. I still thought he was going to somehow pop up at the end of the movie and say oh, it was all staged, or that was my sexual fantasy that right. I would pretend to shoot me. I mean, it, I just thought that it was going to somehow all be reincorporated into the fabric of this this lighthearted romp. And instead, it really stuck out for me as something. And for one thing, quite sad because I like Neil Patrick Harris yeah, in that I mean, role, but just out of keeping with the tone. He's really, you know, it's, it's really exciting when, when he shows up. Uh, although, you know, one point that you made that I thought was right is that it actually feels very different when he shows up in this movie than it did when he showed up in the previous movie because Neil Patrick Harris is a different person in our culture now, in part, in, in large part, because of uh, the, the White Castle picture. But when he shows up in the first movie, He's it's a little really, bit like John Travolta showing up in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, just so say, out of nowhere. Guy, right. Man? Now you're kind of waiting for him. When the, when the car pulls up to, uh, to pick them up when they're hitchhiking, you sort of are guessing that it's him. But you're also really excited that it is. Um, and I agree. I, I share your disappointment. At the same time, I guess one of the great things about the Stoner movie is that there's plenty of flashback opportunities. There's plenty of uh, flashbacks of multiple kinds. Uh, and I, I can imagine him uh, being shoehorned into a third picture through some kind of hallucination or oh, look sure. back. Oh, sure. They could visit him on a, on a drug trip or yeah, something. Yeah, or on a different planet. So maybe he's not, he's not gone, but it was, uh, it was sort of sad to, to, to bid him farewell. Well, I guess at the very least, I mean, I, I couldn't honestly say that I could recommend this movie except to real Harold and Kumar kind of completist fans. Right. But, but at least maybe this will be an excuse for 
some Netflix rentals of the wonderful first movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I preferably with a bag of a substance, which will remain unnamed. <laughs> I have to say, I, I watched it uh, on Netflix without any substances other than uh, some seltzer water, and I was totally charmed. And uh, I was glad for the second movie to create the occasion for seeing the first one. So, uh, if that's the uh, that's the only thing it does, it, it won't be the worst thing to enter theaters this spring or summer. All right, well, John, thanks a lot for joining me for this discussion of Harold and Kumar. My pleasure. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.